Welcome to the Manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors, Macabre Manor of Mead, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm James. And I'm Jody. And we're going to head back and do some more on J.R.R. Tolkien, or as more properly pronounced, Tolkien, but we've already discussed how we can't ever remotely do that. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this time, instead of harshing on Peter Jackson's The Hobbit, which we can all agree is a wonderful adaptation of the Red Book of West March, which is an adaptation J.R.R. Tolkien also created from. Yes. Maybe one more towards children and the other not. And that's something we're going to talk about a different time. Yeah. <laughs> Today, <laughs> we're going to talk about Tolkien's his, uh, essay on fairy stories. Yes. Yeah. Now, it, originally, he gave it as a lecture, though, right? Could have. Could have. Uh, well, because I, I thought it was part of the Andrew Lang, uh, whatever oh, they call Oh, yeah, the, the guy who did the Green Fairy book and Red Fairy book. and Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, Andrew Lang was a, uh, uh, well, he was, he was an academic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, I, I, I don't know a whole lot about him. I do, he, he, he did a collection of fairy stories, and it was several books. I think it was like a dozen books, and each one of them was a different collar. Because I've got the orange fairy, the, 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 uh, the orange book of fairy stories, which I never did finish. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I've got a half a dozen of them and haven't even started. Oh, well, see, okay. That makes me feel a little bit better because at least I started mine. <laughs> <laughs> I, they look good. Tolkien has said good things about them. Neil Gaiman has said good yeah. things about them. So, uh, so yeah, we, we'd been knocking this idea around for quite a while and thought we'd finally do it, although it's a fairly long essay. and. Yeah. The way we blather on, I think we're going to cut it into three or four parts. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. <laughs> uh, Lord of the Rings. When you read Lord of the Rings, um, do you always, or do you ever read the appendices at the end of Return of the King? And if you do, how often do you read them? I mean, do you read them every time you read Lord of the Rings or... So, you know, every once in a while when you read Lord of the Rings. Okay, so I can give a short answer, which might stay in, and, uh, you know, we, then we can expand if we need to now or later. Okay. Uh, but the answer to that is always and sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will always read the bits that are actually more story-oriented, where okay. you have Frodo and Gandalf and everybody at Minas Tirith you know, afterwards talking about different things. Um, but then I don't always read the genealogies. Right. Okay. Because I don't always read any of them, uh, but I just, I just, I just finished the book proper, and that's the like the last thing I have to read. And I thought well, I'll read them again because it's been a while since I've read them. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's uh, the, the one. That, yeah. Like I said, I'll always read the parts that seem like it's an actual story written. Yeah. In prose like that, and I'll usually read the uh, timeline of what happens after the war where we find out, you know, when Pippin and Meriadoc become the Thane and the Took and when Aragorn passes away and when Merry and Pippin pass away and, you know, uh, get right buried and, and Rohan and when Sam finally goes over the season, I, I almost always read that. But on occasion, if I'm feeling emotional, I won't cause it makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree with that too. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the final ending of that age of the world and it's sad yeah. <laughs> yeah and a lot of that stuff wound up in the Silmarillion anyway so 
Another reason not to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would first like to share what beer I'm drinking, and that has to partially do with Jody waking me up last night with the text. Uh, so what time was this? Oh, so last night at 11.24 p.m., after I'd been crashed for a couple hours, he sends me a text and says, you need to make a 14.20 ale. Uh, from which point I fall back asleep thinking, what the fuck are you talking about? Because I'm groggy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking we're going to talk about Lord of the Rings tomorrow. It's either that or Guinness. And then I'm thinking it's not Guinness. They've not been around since 1420. Uh, but uh, on the way in the work this morning, as I'm driving, you know, it, it stewed upon me for a while. And I realized that oh, he's talking about, and the only thing I can come up with was, ah, now that's a proper 1420. That is referencing a really good beer from, uh, Hobbiton, where the gaffers would talk about it, and uh, I'll let Jody finish the story after I say that. Because of that, I stopped by Center Point Brewing, the the one brew pub I mentioned a lot, and picked up a lovely brown ale, so I can have a one wonderful English style brown ale while we do this episode. There you go. Um, no, this was uh, uh, like I said, I, I finished reading Lord of the Rings outside without having finished the, reading the appendices, I, I finished the, the last chapter in Lord of the Rings last night, uh, which was the Grey Havens. And um, so the year after the War of the Ring was 1420 and the Shire Reckoning. And uh, uh, everything, you know, all the, the, the crops that were from that year were good and, and lots of children were born that year in the Shire. And they were all, you know, beautiful children and you know what you know the trees that the sam planted grew quickly and and uh so the 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 quote was the north farthing barley was so fine that the beer of 1420 malt was long remembered and became a byword indeed a generation later one might hear an old gaffer in and in in and in i hate those three words together <laughs> uh, after a good pint of well-earned ale Put down his mug with a sigh. Ah, that was the proper 1420, that was. So that was, yeah. <laughs> and and since, you know, James brews his own beer, I said, hey, <laughs> you need to do a 1420. <laughs> to, to which I have to say first, I was impressed with myself for being close to that quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Had I cheated, I would have gotten it perfect. <laughs> and it's the reason I texted you that late at night. <laughs> bastard uh, and two other things as far as making one is i can't possibly because i'm not going to have the special magic of gladriel infesting the shire through sam's <laughs> dirt um, but, but i have made some really nice english style brown ales and english style esbs well there you go yeah and i probably didn't put it down and going that was a proper pint of 1420 that was i was probably going i'm gonna crack open another one of these bad boys and read some more talking <laughs> There you go. Uh, I think we'll move on, and we're going to try to cover a couple sections. <laughs> he, he says, 10 minutes in. Um, and those would be the first two sections out of the, the six, uh, which would be fairy story and origins. And I'm going to put the pint to my face because I know Jody uh, has some. Oh, so as a backdrop, we both made our notes separately, and we both make our notes differently. And we both see things that pop out. So you'll get a decent idea of how we both see this as yeah. we bounce things back and forth. And, and I know Jody has a first note. So 
Huh, okay. Um, well, the, to start off with, uh, the first thing I'm, I made a note of, um, Tolkien himself was not a scholar on fairy stories, That's according to him. Uh, but he was a lifelong reader. Now, what he said was, uh, is, quote, I have been hardly more than a wandering explorer or trespasser in the land, full of wonder, but not of information. What he called fairy stories were fairy tales. Um, and we'll actually kind of get to that in a second here. Um, they were, that was not his field of study. He was a philologist. Um, <laughs> but is, this is the one that James I like. Is, yeah, I was, that's, why, that's why James is always making fun of philologists. But yeah, Tolkien's the one that we like. Then he goes on to give the Oxford English Dictionary definition of a fairy tale because the OED does not have a definition of a fairy story. At the time, um, they said it was in the supplement, uh, fairy's tale is recorded since the year 1750, uh, and its leading sense is said to be, A, a tale about fairies, or generally a fairy legend with developed senses, B, an unreal or incredible story, and C, a falsehood. Um, he, he goes on to discuss the uh, English Oxford... Or, <laughs> Oxford English Dictionary definition of fairy. Um, uh, supernatural beings of diminutive size and popular belief supposed to possess magical powers and to have great influence for good or evil over the affairs of man. He disagrees that they are supernatural. He sees them more as part of the natural world, more even so than, than humans are. Um, he also thinks that man is more diminutive than fairies are. And, and he draws a distinction between fairies and, you know, sprites. Because I, I, I think it's become the definition that people think of when they think of a fairy, they think of, a, you know, a little pixie-ish Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell. Yes, thank you. I was picturing her and couldn't, um, couldn't get past the legs. That's Any another podcast, or actually probably <laughs> better not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's not go there. Um, but, I, th but this brought up this thing about um, as being more part of the natural world than even man was or is, and that, that got me to thinking that uh, does this make them more of a primordial or primal force? That's not necessarily what he's saying, but I, well, maybe, but maybe that is what he's saying. But that's not how he said it. <laughs> yeah, when, when we get later on, we'll see that he sometimes juxtaposes the fairy story, the fairy tales, and mm -hmm. fairies with the elves of Middle-earth in that yeah. they are a, uh, well, I guess a higher being than men because... Well, if, <laughs> if you read, seriously though, if you, and this is getting a little off topic because this is another story that we could probably do an episode on. If you read Smith of Wooten Major, when he visits, when, when that character visits the realm of fairy, and that's, if I remember right, that is exactly how Tolkien puts it. It's the realm of fairy. The, the beings that he describes encountering, that, that he describes Smith encountering there are very, very similar to the elves out of his, out, out of the Lord of the Rings in Middle Earth. But Smith right. of Wooten Major does not take place in Middle Earth. No, it's the English countryside, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or it's supposed to be. I don't know. I don't know that Wooten Major actually exists, but well, a fictional. It, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's, it would be a fictional place, and what I have always assumed would be the, was the English countryside. So, so yeah, his 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 elves from 
you know, Middle Earth are very much what he pictured the fairies as. Now, a little bit later on, I think we'll, we'll, we'll get into mythology and, and how that ties into it. I think that's how that ties in them being, you know, more of a primal force. Yeah. So then I'm going to jump back. Ha! Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Eddie Murphy fans out there got that. No, everybody else is like, what? Uh, so yeah, because we'll get into that in a little bit uh, before we go too far. Uh, when he talks about, uh, so I agree that I, I think they're a primordial force as, as well. And when we get to the mythology and so I study, uh, and we both study, uh, Celtic yeah. uh, lore, Celtic mythology, and and have a better idea of what that type of fairy is because the she in Celtic lore and Irish lore is much closer to Tolkien's elves than yes. the little pixie fairies of Victorian times. Yeah. Um, but when he talks about have great influence for good or evil over the affairs of men, uh, that part I actually agree with because the fairies or and the she can be good or bad depending on how you treat them. And they, they, they do have, a, so I, I like that. I don't think he even meant it because uh, I, I think Tolkien was influenced by some Celtic bits. I'm too, but he, he refuses he, to admit it. Well, I, I will, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but again, probably another episode. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that, yeah, we'll, we'll hold off on that one because that could, we could, I mean, seriously, we could really derail what we're trying to do here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm going to move on. <laughs> Uh, and I like where he says the road to Fairyland is not the road to heaven nor even to hell. And there are bigger points to that later on when he discusses the differences between the afterlife and fairy. Uh, yeah. But I like that where he, he mentions that uh, the devil's tithe, again, not because it relates to him, but when it comes to the Celtic myths, where some people try to Christianize the she and yeah. say that they were the angels that fell to earth and they weren't bad enough to go to hell, but they weren't good enough to stay in heaven. Uh, utter bunk to, to be as nice as possible to to be as mean as sheldon cooper has ever been that is malarkey <laughs> and poppycock <laughs> but, but you'll see how a lot of these interact with each other i mean all across northern european myths the celtic anglo-saxon english the nordic um, because there are nordic things coming up soon too i don't really remember that he went into how the fairies came to be considered diminutive. Yeah, no, yeah, because that's what he says. He's, I'd, uh, it would be interesting to try to find out how that came to be so. Uh, um, but my knowledge is not sufficient for a certain answer. My knowledge is sufficient enough to say it was the damn Victorians. And that's what I was thinking, yeah. We, we, we can go on from there because that's another horrible sidetrack. Yeah. He made a point. Um, about fairy stories taking place rather on the fringes of the realm of fairy. And usually it's man's interaction with that realm. Yeah, that, that's coming up here because I do have quite a bit on that. Okay, good. Okay. Um, he, he goes into the types of stories that probably should not be considered fairy stories. Um, travel stories. And uh, he uses Gulliver's Travels as a key example of that's not a fairy story. It's a travel story. Dream stories where the story is framed in a dream where maybe the dreamer has this dream that they've gone to the realm of fairy, but they actually reside in the real world and have had no actual interaction with the realm of fairy because they 
they fell asleep, had the dream, and then woke up. Um, and I think didn't I think he used uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderlands as an example of that. Um, that that would not be a true fairy story. And then uh, beast stories, where there are no humans, but the the animals can speak and do human-like things. He said those would also not fall under fairy stories. Although you could have beings like that in a fairy story. But if, you like I said, if you don't have that human interaction with it, then it's not really a fairy story. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like I'm just agreeing, and, and I am. Yeah, so... Yeah. So he mentions that fairy can contain many, many things that aren't just the elves and then the fae. Uh, you have dwarves and witches and trolls and giants and dragons and, you know, holds all the seas and the sun and the moon and the sky and the earth and mm -hmm. the trees and the birds and everything. Everything in the natural world yes. is in fairy, but it's an enchanted area. And w without human interaction, though, it is not a fairy story. It is just a story. It does require right. the interaction of humans, men, women, children, adults, whatever it may be, to actually become a fairy story. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, dreams not connected with fairy. You're right. It's just a dream. Beast fables are completely mm -hmm. different. Just because you have Puss in Boots talking does not make it a fairy story. It's right. I, I think you did call it a beast fable, right? I believe he did, Yes. Although to be an, to be honest, I I am vaguely familiar with Puss in Boots, but I've never actually sat down and read it. I have. It's it's okay. It's interesting. I mean, it's not actually very long. You can read it in much right. less time than it takes to watch the uh, Pixar or, or DreamWorks or whatever it is, which yeah. I enjoy. But yeah, and and one of the other points isn't it that uh, so the men and women aren't just in the story; they're the protagonist. Yes, that is very important. So, yeah, it's, it's not that you have a story about an elf. You have a story about a young man who travels in the ferry and interacts with the elves because he wants to get the love of, of his, his true love back in the world of mortals or, or whatever it may be. Right. And, yeah, she may have been taken to the land of fairy. And that is possible, too. <laughs> uh, so, uh, real quick, um, I'm going to mention two books because they fit in well here. One of them is because at in this point in the essay, uh, Tolkien talks about, um, you know, fairy can't be caught in a net of words because all of its qualities are indescribable and, and sometimes imperceptible and sometimes not. Uh, you've got these all sorts of different things where it's, it's uh, I, I'm not even sure how to describe it, but it's just very, very different. Um, so See, that, that was the thing. I started to try to describe it in my notes and then I, I crossed all that out <laughs> because Tolkien couldn't describe it. How can I describe it? I hate using the word ineffable because it sounds very uh, Abrahamic. <laughs> uh huh. But but it, it is. It's if you've not been there. Uh, but but there is just something very unique about it. And yeah. um, between that and in this section, Tolkien talks quite a bit about the Queen of Elfland, a, a book. Uh, I'd like to mention two stories, two books. Uh -huh. Uh, one is I've not read The Queen of Elfland, but I have read, based on a recommendation from Neil Gaiman, The King of Elfland's Daughter by Lord Dunsany. Okay. Fantastic. It is really good. It's really old. Uh, man, it, it's, it's sort of the Victorian times. It's, I think, early 1900s, uh, somewhere in there, 1910, 1920, 1930. Uh, but it's, it's really good. It, it takes it seriously. If you've read Neil Gaiman's Stardust, it is similar to that. Cool. So it's, it's very nice. And the other one I wanted to mention is 
uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, uh, which is, uh, I'm going to have to look this up because I want to actually give you the author because she's fantastic. But it is a book written around the time of the Napoleonic Wars, and it talks about English magic. And in this, the magicians, the mages, actually meet somebody from fairy. And it does a very good job of discussing sort of the, the interactions of humans, mortals, and, and fairies. And it is, it's fairly new. It's uh, not very old. I'm stuttering now, so I can look it up. Here we go. Uh, so Jonathan Strange and Mr. Nor- Norrell, published in 2004 by Susanna Clark. Cool. The magic of fairy is not an end in itself. Its virtue is in its operations. Among these are the satisfaction of certain primordial human desires. He kind of says that fairy stories must be true. Um, they must be consistent within their world. Well, I mean, it's got to be consistent within the story, is basically what he was saying. And that you have to, as the as the storyteller, you have to you have to treat it as true to the world that you're you know that you're, that you're telling the story in. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, going to the theater and where you have your suspension of disbelief. Yeah. But as soon as they do something like break the fourth wall or just something so outrageously outside, you you can even have a story about superheroes or dragons or whatever, but it has to be consistent within that framework. And the moment it's not, it snaps you out of where you're at. Yeah. So Um, uh, in a a few sections, we're going to get to something called eucatastrophes. Um, yes. And I don't think this is actually in the essay, but Tolkien himself did talk about how those that you'll hear in a couple episodes, they should never, uh, his actual quote, I think is something along the lines of should never sunder the web of the story. Right. So no matter what you're doing, whatever you're writing, the fairy story, uh, a morality play, a beast fable, keep it consistent within its own world. Yes. That was kind of the point I was trying to get to. <laughs> yeah. But that's just kind of true about all good writing. <laughs> yeah, it is actually. Um, it, it's all got to. It's all got to stay consistent and make sense within itself. So uh, the section on origins. He talks some about researchers. Uh, they they tend to pick the stories apart instead of studying them as a whole, focusing on uh, that they focus on the individual elements instead of looking at how they fit together. I think that's what he was trying to say. Um, also talked about how they tend to group similar stories together. Um, and they'll say, you know, like, well, this, this story X is really story Y. Was it Beowulf is really dat Erdmanikin? Erdmanikin? It's, it's Danish. I can't pronounce it right. Uh, I, I did look, I, I did translate it. I, it basically translates to the gnome. Huh. Um, but he, he points out it's the details in the story that make each story unique. So, uh, yeah, you could have a similar plot, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the same story because you're putting different details in. Yeah, I, I Although, know. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I was, I was going to say because he, he admits that he himself has the desire to, to do these kind of things with stories, to, to pick them apart and, and look at individual elements instead of looking at them as a whole. But he he said that he thought it was more interesting to view a story as a whole, uh, as as presented by the author. And then he he referenced uh, George Webb uh, Descent's soup and bones analogy, <laughs> uh, which I thought was pretty cool. I do like that. Yeah. Um, do you want to explain that or? 
Well, uh, I, I, I can. I can. I, let, let me uh, jump in real quick. Yeah, I was say you had another point too. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, two actually. <laughs> um, one is that I, I agree with what you're saying, and I, I think how you're interpreting, interpreting, interpreting Tolkien. <laughs> Fuck you, philologists. <laughs> And then how you're looking at it is how I think he is too, in that you do want to look at the whole story. Let's say Beowulf is similar to the, the gnome, um, and I would mispronounce that, or Monacan also. Uh, but you're still going to get things. Beowulf has a lot of information on Anglo-Saxon culture, and, and we even talked about this in our Mead episodes, where yeah. you have the Mead Hall and the Mead Bowl, and that's where you do the boasting. And so even if they're similar they're still very significant all on their own as a whole story. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is we are human and we like to categorize things. And, and I know folklorists have actual numbers and lettering systems. I, I don't yes. know what any of them are, but I remember one specific one is like ghost instruments where you have an instrument that plays itself. So you have all these little sets and subsets of specific types of fairy stories and folklore and ghost stories and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that does kind of go into the, the soup and bones and the soup is good. The soup is the story. The soup is what you just want to enjoy and you sit down and you eat and, and everything. But some people want to go deeper and they actually want to see the bones. They want to see what the soup was made out of and root around in the garbage can. And now I don't need to read the quote because you pretty much nailed it. <laughs> Hot damn. He pointed out that fairy stories or the origins of fairy stories are ancient and show up early everywhere language developed. So um, everywhere. <laughs> yeah. um, and he talks about the problem of tracing their origin and compares it to that of archaeologists or, or philologists. <laughs> you stepped on my line. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Did philologists. I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nope, I'm good now. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, you know, it, it's the thing of, uh, does it arise from independent evolution or invention of similar things? Or is it inherited from a common ancestor? Or is it the diffusion of one or more, uh, diffusion at one or more times from a central location? And, and my personal guess is that it's all three playing a role. But as... As, as Tolkien put it, it is now beyond all skill, but that of the elves to unravel it. <laughs> That's why we love him. So the next little section talks about how philology has been dethroned from the high place it once had in the court of inquiry. And he, Tolkien mentions a fellow by the name of Max Mueller, whose yes. view of mythology is as a disease of language and can be abandoned without regret. And, I have one thing to say, which is, fuck you, Max. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, <they're, laughs> mythology is very useful. And whether that is... Yes. To, so Jody and I uh, ascribe to a certain type of uh, philosophy, and it comes from a book that we both read, How the Scots Invented the Modern World, where it is wonderful to keep progressing, and you don't want to stagnate. You do want things to get better through science and inquiry and enlightenment, and that's fantastic. But doing so without having something rooted in the past to show where you've come from is sort of like a loose balloon without a tether that's just going to fly off. And it's good to have that background. And it's the same as mythology where it's not useless. It shows us where we came from. The fairy stories, mythologies, uh, religions, whatever it may be, 
gives us an idea of what our ancestors were thinking, what they were doing, what they needed to do, the stories they grew up with. It gives you an idea of, uh, there's an a Irish story that takes place on Halloween, uh, Samhain, where a young man goes and cuts down a corpse on a dare so he can get a sword. And mm-hmm. the, the corpse actually, because it's Halloween night, Samhain night, veils thin, the corpse falls on his back and is alive then and makes him go all over and teaches him things such as the fire has to be damped but not put out. The bad water has to be thrown out because if you have bad water in your house, you get sick. And that story simply tells how the Irish from hundreds of years ago had to clean their house and keep everything nice or you're going to get sick and die. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, So mythology is not useless, Max. Mythology is quite wonderful, Max. I I do give Max some credit. He is uh, one of the progenitors of comparative religion. Uh, So if you're taking a college class on comparing religion, that's a good thing. So you get out of your own religion you're brought up with, or if you're agnostic or atheist or whatever, it gives you an idea of what religions are. Yeah. Uh, But I'm not sure why religion would not be the same thing as mythology in most cases there, Maxie boy. I have a note about that. Interesting. Do tell. I, I have a, I have a, I don't want to say theory because I don't want to use the word theory wrong. A hypothesis. <laughs> I have a hypothesis. <laughs> um, to me, what I see, what I think it is, is religion are the, the rites and practices and worship of a deity. And that's, that's what religion is. Mythology are the tales of those deities and they may have nothing to do with the rites, practices or worship. So I think oh. that's where the distinction is. That's a nice distinction. Don't have to, sometimes can. Right. Nice. Yeah. Oh. Now, I could be completely wrong, but that was my hypothesis. It's not, not, it sounds like a decent working hypothesis to me. And if anybody wants to, to jump in with some things, well, yeah, we'll set that up and we can record that. And you can tell us that we're right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> okay. So we talked about... Um, so invention or the independent evolution of, of uh, maybe something similar. Uh, the invention part is the most important and fundamental. Uh, this is Tolkien's quote, most important and fundamental. And so not surprisingly, also the most mysterious part of the fairy story. It, it, I mean, obviously that, that's, that's the storyteller creating the story, um, which we'll get into that a little bit later when we start talking about subcreation, uh, which is probably <laughs> next episode. The other two things he talked about, Diffusion uh, is borrowing in place. So, you know, maybe a story developed, uh, well, I, you know, uh, like, the, like the Greek myths. You know, we think of them as coming from Greece, but a lot of that stuff came from farther east in like Turkey and diffused into Greece and got mixed in with some of their stuff. And then there's inheritance, which is borrowing in time, which is what a lot of, well, it's, it's, inheritance would be something that Tolkien did because he used a lot of older traditions to write Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Or, or he can be like the Romans who did both, who just blatantly stole yes. from the Greeks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> stole from the Celts, stole from the Greeks. Jeez. And then claimed it all for themselves. Yeah. Winners write the books. Yeah. My next note was on uh, the, the power of making immediately affected by the will. Yes, or the power of words and, and the wonder of the mind that devised them. You can, uh, as Tolkien used, you know, like an example, like uh, the green grass. Okay, well, you've got grass and then you, you use this word green 
and you've suddenly you've added something to this to this grass you've but you could change it and you could say that person's face is green well that gives it a completely different connotation you know green grass is good somebody's face being green is not so good <laughs> that's, that's that's horrific <laughs> adjectives are very potent and fairy <laughs> yes <laughs> So, so when I was reading this and when I take my notes, sometimes I'm sober and sometimes I'm not. Yeah. Uh, this particular one, I was that in between perfect stage where I'd had a couple of pints and was good, not drunk. And I was thinking to myself, uh, I, I was, and here's where it's going to be cheesy and overly romantic. So if you don't like it too fucking bad. Uh, so I was thinking of my wife and um, something in the paragraph made me think of this. I'm thinking the term her face, just her face. Yeah, that's all. Versus her beautiful face as the sun dappled her fairy kisses was shining with love and tenderness with lips that were as dewy grass, which needed crest by my own. See, extremely sappy, but extremely vivid as opposed to her face. <laughs> but th that's the potency of adjectives. I mean, you know, you may look at yeah. me like I'm uh, since I was making fun of the uh, Victorian era poets <laughs> a couple episodes ago, and uh, I'm doing the same thing. Yeah, you can make fun of me, but it's you know, that, that's where a lot of the power comes from. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that, that's the power of, of fantasy, of fairy stories. Yeah. They, they don't all have to be wholesome either. I mean, what I said moved oh, yeah. it from something that was normal and plain to something vividly romantic. Uh, Jody mentioned the green face. That, that's the opposite. It doesn't have to be wholesome. These, right. This power of fairy, the power of words, the potency of this imagination and, and realm, it can be good or ill. And Tolkien mentions uh, several. Um, he mentioned, uh, I do have it. Oh, the, juni the juniper tree. Uh, it's uh, a fairy tale. It's actually in Grimm's fairy tales. And I, I had remembered the story. I actually had to look it up, though, because I didn't remember the title of it. It's basic story is you've got this uh, father married to this woman and they have a child, they have a son, she dies and he remarries. Uh, the stepmother has a daughter. So she's jealous of the boy because she wants her daughter to inherit everything from the father. She kills the boy and she dismembers the boy and she cooks him in the soup and she feeds the soup to the father and she buries the bones out by the juniper tree. And this mist arises and turns into this bird and the bird flies into town and tells the story of the murder and uh, lo and behold, everything, it gets back to the father and the stepmother winds up being punished by being put to death. And you, so you got all this stuff with all this death and cannibalism and all these horrible things. Oh, and the, but the, the son comes back at the end of the story. He's, he's reborn when the stepmother is killed. So, you know, the father rejoices in that. But this is a horribly dark story. And it was one that Tolkien knew as a child. But he said that what stayed with him over the years was not the horror of the boy's murder or the beauty of his resurrection, but the, the remoteness of time, because it just felt like it had taken place so long ago. But, you know, these, these, story, these stories can be horrific, it, it, but yet at the same time, you know, you're still going to learn something out of them. <laughs> is that what I'm trying to say? Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> yes, that is, that is yeah. a good... Um, well, it would be a good bridge from what we were just talking about into the children's part, but that's yes. not coming up yet, but it's still no. a very good bridge. And that is exactly, yeah. Is that the same story where uh, the bird drops a millstone on the stone? Yes, bird? yes. That's, yeah. And that's how she died. Yeah, he dropped the millstone on her head. Yeah, that's a good um, story. Yeah. Uh, and then the next section, uh, Tolkien 
talks about not just the power of all these, but he, he also discusses the, the sort of the evolution of yes. fairy stories and, and nature myths and how you start with something like Jody talked about earlier, which is more religion or, or mythology. It's, you know, that, that sort of gray area, but it talks about gods. And then these gods eventually become heroes. And, and he gives a good example of Thor, of the Norse yeah. god Thor, who is, of course, a god. But then as Christianity started getting into the area and taking over as the main religion, Thor mm. still, <laughs> that, that's a completely different topic, but I agree with your sentiment. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so when, when Thor is then removed from being a deity, he's still a hero. Yeah. So you take this level of, and then even after that, then you get fairy stories. So there's sort of yes. a stepwise progression of how these stories become. Yes. And, and I do agree with that. Although I, th I think Tolkien was also kind of making a point that he felt that it may have been in, uh, that, it, that in the beginning, in the evolution of these original stories, it may have been the other way around that he, he said, you may have had this, this farmer who could be loud and boisterous <laughs> And was, you know, would be like loud and boisterous. And then there was a roll of thunder off the distance. And that person started to become associated with this concept of thunder. And out of that, you, you apply that personality to thunder. And that is how you get Thor. And, and speaking of deities, uh, and I know we may be jumping around a few paragraphs here and there, but that, that, that's okay. I'm sure you can all keep up. Uh, yeah. One of the neatest things I actually read in this uh, so i went to a catholic school and we talk about religion and deities and everything but th that's different than sort of an academic viewpoint of things and one of the nice little parts that tolkien talks about is when he gives divinity he actually defines it as the right to power as opposed to the possession of power yes so divinity is the right to having that power and its due worship which is a religion, which is what Jody said earlier, religion is the, the rights and the worship of something versus mm -hmm. the, the story part. It's just kind of neat. I mean, you go to Catholic school, they're not going to talk about that. They just want you to believe that, that, that that's what the Trinity deserves and gets. Yeah. And um, you, you see that actually in the uh, characters like Aragorn, who, who have more of a right to that power than, say, somebody like Saruman, who actually has that power and, and tries to gain more, you, you see who who manages to keep it and who loses it. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I, I thought when you said Aragorn, you're going to go talk about Denethor, but no, you. Well, that, that, uh, there's another example. Then he he goes back to that analogy of the soup, uh, and he talks about how the, how that soup has been boiling for a long time, and new things are constantly being added. And then he, he talks about Bertrada of Leon. It's uh, Bertrada the Younger or Bertha Broadfoot. She's actually the mother of King Charlemagne or Emperor Charlemagne. What was he? He was emperor. Whatever eventually. Was. Yeah, eventually. Soccer. Anyways, it's Charlemagne's mother. And the, again, there's another story uh, from Grimm's fairy tales called The Goose Girl. The, that story is attached to her, even though the story predated her. But yeah, but that's what Tolkien was saying was somehow she gets put into the soup. Going, going with the, the pot analogy a little bit more, one of my favorite bits, and, and this will be fairly short, uh, is just that uh, King Arthur is also in the pot. I mean, he's, yes. he's been in there forever. He fairly certain he's an historical figure and whoever he, he may be, whether it was just some sort of tribal king who uh, faced the Anglo-Saxons on, what was it, Braden Hill? 
maybe. Yeah, um, they think, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but now he's been in the pot for so long, and, and Tolkien says he's boiled for a long time together with many other figures and devices of mythology and fairy. So he, he talks about King Arthur's a, a king of fairy, more or less, because he's, he's yeah. now a part of this. Uh, it's not, it's just this fantastical uh, fairy storyline. And, and King Arthur does have some really fantastic fairy stories in it too yes so yeah king arthur's the protagonist just a, a normal human but there are fae creatures between the the ladies of the lake because there's more than one yes now merlin who's that's not so much a fairy story because he's actually half demon not half fairy but <laughs> yeah uh, but for all we know that was also some sort of christianization of him being half fae and instead is half demon yeah, I hadn't just, thought about that, but yeah, that would make sense. But yeah, it's just really neat. King Arthur's very much a fairy story. Yeah. And by the way, I now have almost nothing till the end of the section. Oh, well, I, I, I had a note about, um, uh, he, he, he says that fairy stories open a door into a different time or an other, other time, capitalized other time, O-N-T. Huh, that's um, my note. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, well, and, and see, and this was going back to that thing about the, the softening of the stories and the removal of elements by the Brothers Grimm out of some of their fairy tales, um, that, that some of these stories may contain elements of older traditions or even taboos like cannibalism. Cannibalism is a taboo. It's something you're not supposed to do that, that have survived in, in, in these stories as, as you know, a, a way to teach. Like, well, like you were saying um, about the Irish story about how to how to clean the home you know they, they could also be stories of what not to do <laughs> oh uh, the only thing i was going to mention about the the outside or other time is it yeah. doesn't go exactly with what tolkien was saying but I, I liked it because fairy stories typically especially the mythologies of of ireland and, and wales and yeah. scotland have when when you're with the fairies when you're in a fairy story you are the human that's there and you go to the fairy realm uh you go to the land of fairy time is different you're outside of time there yes as well you come back and it's just completely there you've been there for three days you've been gone for seven years right yeah and he dropped a little bit of that into uh, lord of the rings as well uh yeah when they're in lothlorien and yeah even revendale yeah on that note, those are the first two sections, and yes, there there are several more, <laughs> but but we should probably wrap up. Uh, yeah, and then we'll we'll put out the other one here sometime soonish. <laughs> okay. For now, we'll we'll sign off. I'm I'm James. I'm Jody, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. You, you're always disturbing. Thank you. That's so kind of. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that. Welcome back to the macabre manor of the Twin Terrors. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! This is why we have to do it more often than everything. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> is this Rip Van Winkle? This looks like a picture of Rip Van Winkle I've seen before. What the hell are they putting Rip? Never mind. Now, now I have to. Dial back my curmudgeon leanness, damn it. <laughs> my baloney has a first name. It's H O M E R. Wait, what? <laughs> my baloney has a second name. It's H O M E R. Um, okay. You hear me, Striper? Fuckers? They were consistent because all they did was sing about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, consistently bad. <laughs> I have one more reason to hate Julius Caesar. <laughs>
let's get off that before we start talking about the Romans and the Normans and the English. <laughs> oh, I meant to send that to her. Son of a bitch. That's like three weeks old. I should have been getting smooches. <laughs> and, and I will make fun of you later. Damn, I was going to make another point and it just flew out of my head again. <laughs> that's, that's why you should drink more while we do these. If I were to describe that, I would say rambling. <laughs> yes, yes, it kind of was. <laughs> or it's because the veil is thin this time of year and things are knocking out my window because I told them they can bother me anytime they want. Oh, whatever. Oh, there you go. You shouldn't tell Thompson that. You oh, don't know knocking at your window. I said things, not assholes. Well, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was, was going to say, what's the difference? Because, <laughs> you know, ghosts and goblins and ghoulies and gasties and boggles, I, I can understand them. <laughs> <sighs> you see what looks like the last dissected frog put on a toupee, and yeah, that's, that's Thompson. <laughs>